0: Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Hey, we're in a series called Overcoming Anxiety in an anxious, stress-filled world. And our first sermon was about peace. The second one was about joy. And today we close talking about confidence. In an anxious, filled world, how do I stay confident? Psalms 27, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?' The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this will I be confident." For the past several years, America's been going through a rapid series of major financial and geopolitical crises that have shaken our nation and many parts of the world. As Jerry Lee Lewis, the great theologian, said, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. God's word says in Hebrews 12, verse 27, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That means governments will be shaken, that means economies will be shaken that means families will be shaken, the church will be shaken, and unfortunately, that means you will be shaken. So why? Why does God permit the shaking? He said, so that everything that cannot be shaken will be made manifest, meaning everything that is stable will continue to demonstrate its strength. Have you ever walked through a forest area after a storm? High winds rolled over the forest, the grounds covered with rotten branches that had no strength. Now, it didn't look like it until the storm came. They looked fine. But those trees with dead roots were blown over. Everything not grounded and connected was blown over. And it's the same probably for your life. When the floods came and the rains came, if you weren't built on a rock, you were blown away. And it's important to be grounded and connected. Well, storms are blowing through our nation right now and the world. There's a lack of confidence sweeping our nation. People are losing confidence in themselves. They're losing confidence in their future. And the fact is, a lack of confidence will destroy your peace of mind. It will destroy your business, your marriage, your dreams of the future. It'll destroy your physical health. A lack of confidence will assassinate every opportunity that comes your way because you don't have the confidence to even try. See, I want you to leave Summit today exploding with confidence in Christ, confidence in yourself, confidence in other people, confidence that your life can be a great adventure and not a perpetual root canal. If you ever had one of those, you know what I'm talking about. It's astonishing how few of us like ourselves. A reputable psychologist wrote, the polls, if the polls are right, we live our lives never knowing who we really are, because if we had the chance, a lot of people would like to be someone else, you know, look like somebody else, have what somebody else has. We would like this. We would like that. And in life, we select role models and we start dressing to look like them. People who lack confidence complain constantly about everything. They won't be in heaven 30 minutes before they start complaining about something. Now, why do a lot of people constantly complain? Well, often it's a defense mechanism to keep you from looking too closely at them. Because if you took a good look at them, you'd start to see the real problem is often in them. So they constantly complain To keep you from looking at them. However, people with confidence are always looking for good things to happen in their life. I'm thinking my breakthrough's on the way. Uh, I go to the mailbox. I'm thinking publisher sweepstakes could be in that box. Now, it often is not, but my expectation every day is some good is going to happen. A phone call, one email, one letter can change everything. Just that. And, And That's optimism and confidence that something good is going to happen. Kind of reminds me about a middle-aged man on a Caribbean cruise. And there was a woman on the cruise who kept watching him. And after catching her looking at him two or three times, he walked over and said to her, do I know you? And she said, it's amazing to me how much you look like my third husband. And he said, how many times have you been married? She said, two That's confidence, girls, that's confidence. A lack of confidence is because many times you don't understand what you're looking at. Attending a wedding for the first time, a little girl whispered to her mom, why is the bride wearing a white dress? And the mom says, well, because white is the color of of virtue and happiness and joy, and today is the happiest day of her life. And the child says, well, why is the groom wearing black? Don't ask a kid. So what is confidence? Webster defines it as assurance, a relationship of trust, the ability to have coolness under stress, inner poise. So do you lose your cool when you're under stress? Do you stand in front of your microwave screaming, hurry up? What is confidence? It comes from two words. Con means with. Fideo means faith. So it means with faith confidence. See, it's a hybrid word from the Latin meaning to live with faith. See, Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, Scripture says. Faith is starting out before you know how it's going to turn out. See, faith does not demand miracles. Faith creates the possibility for miracles happening. Is faith important to living a happy and successful life? A life saturated with confidence? Well, you try living without faith in God for a few weeks and you'll be in a padded cell banging your head against a wall wondering about your future. Of course, it's absolutely necessary. Scripture says, have faith in God. The Bible says the just, those who have been justified by faith in Jesus, shall live by faith. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So by faith, Noah built an ark, and he didn't have a black and Decker saw. By faith, Abraham, who was 100, told Sarah, his wife, who was 90, sweetheart, you're going to have a baby about this time next year. And Sarah laughed. But God came down in that tent that night and cranked Abraham's dead battery, and Sarah felt things she had never felt. And sparks flew all over that tent. I'm being very dramatic here. And from a dead womb, nine months later, Out comes Isaac, the son of laughter, and he's born. If God says you're going to have a baby, you better buy a bassinet. It's going to happen. If God sends you fishing for Moby Dick, you better take tartar sauce. You're going to need it. See, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, that he might gain a crown of God the Father that fades not away. By faith, the fathers of the church subdued kingdoms, brought righteousness, stopped the mouths of lions, of whom the world was not worthy. So, good question this morning. Are you surrounded by the forces of hell? Are you surrounded by enemies who wish to destroy you? Do you feel yourself overwhelmed by discouragement, despair, sickness, defeat by disease? Scripture says, have faith in God. You're not just anybody. You're a special somebody to God if you're a follower of Jesus and you're his child. Live in divine confidence. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though an army comes against me, I will not fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Bring it on. And people will hate you, rate you, shake you, and break you. But how strong you stand is what will make you. Our God is an awesome God. He's a God who cannot fail. He's greater than the problems you're going through. He's greater than the enemy you may be facing this Christmas. Have confidence in God that he will not fail you. See, confidence, which is living by faith, cannot be inherited. It's developed. Now, how do I know? Romans 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The emphasis is on the word cometh. It's a Greek continuous verb. That means it's progressively growing. So, how does it come? By hearing or reading the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, to every man is given a measure of faith. So, everybody in this room, everybody watching online has some faith. But that faith is stimulated and nourished by hearing and reading God's Word. See? See? Now, that ought to shock people that come Christmas and Easter, because every time they have a crisis, they fall apart. They don't have anybody to turn to. They don't have any confidence. Why? They don't know any word. And it's the Word of God that is living. It's called a rhema word. It's alive. It's living. It's not the Reader's Digest or Ladies Home Journal. This is something very powerful that can generate life. If you won't read God's Word and you're not hearing it, you'll always have stagnant, weak, pitiful faith. You'll always collapse every time there is a problem. But the more you read it and the more you hear it and you hear it proclaimed, the greater your faith will be. So your faith is developed. Faith cometh. But the problem is many people don't read God's Word, and when they do read it, they don't read it until they understand it. Um, It's an old funny, but it's worth repeating. An ordination committee was interviewing a very uneducated, illiterate man who wanted to be ordained to preach the gospel. So the committee, in kindness, said, do you know enough about the gospel to preach it? He said, oh, yes, sir, I do. So the ordination committee thought, well, we'll give it a shot. They said, what part of the Bible do you know best? And he says, well, I know the book of the parables the best. And the committee said, what? The book of the parables? He said, yes, sir. So the committee says, well then, tell us about the book of the parables. He said, okay, here it is. There was a good Samaritan going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and they choked him half to death and he said, I will arise and he arose and he came to a tree and his hair got caught in the limbs of the tree and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights and the ravens came and fed him and Deliah saw him and she cut him down with her shears and he fell on stony ground and he said, I will arise and he came to a wall and Jezebel was sitting on that wall and she mocked him and he said chunk her down. And they chunked her down. He said, chunk her down again. And they chunked her down a second time. He said, throw her down 70 times seven. And great was the fall. And of the fragments that remained, they picked up 12 baskets full. And they said, whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? <laughs> now that's all in the Bible, but it, it's not like that in the story. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. So, some people can divide it, but they can't get it back together again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. Many of you have paid money to go to a self improvement seminar, to be told by some enthusiastic uh, guru to go read some books that'll build you confidence. Hang around people who are full of confidence and learn how to speak confidently when perhaps you don't have any confidence at all. And they speak about power talks, power suits, power lunches. I can save you some money. There are 66 books in your Bible authored by God, the Holy Spirit. They are saturated with confidence. You read the Bible, it'll transform your life into living victory. In those pages of that Bible, you'll meet People, men, and women who stood against impossible odds and won. With faith in God and in themselves, they conquered the unconquerable. They defeated giants. They walked in and walked out of a fiery furnace without the smell of smoke on them. Moses led two and a half million people into the wilderness. And by faith, God sent manna every morning and caused water to gush out of a rock. And there was not one sick or feeble person among them for 40 years. Get you some of that. Elijah called fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice that had just had 12 barrels of water poured on it. That's confidence. Wow. When Gabriel told Mary she was going to be the mother of God, you think about that and it'll set your hair on fire. She's maybe 16 years old and an angel Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to give birth to the son of God for with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary says, okay, be it unto me according to your word. I don't understand how it can happen, but it doesn't matter. If God said so, I believe it. Be it unto me according to your word. That's confidence. Have you got some? See, Paul was beaten three times, stoned, left for dead, but he writes in Romans 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. That's confidence, man. He preached to Felix, the Roman governor. Felix, it says, shook with fear. Why Paul, who is in chains, was fearless. Paul shook a deadly viper off his wrist on the island of Malta after it bit him. The night before he was executed, he wrote this, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of life, and not me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Wow. King David writes in the 23rd Psalm, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And even in the last days of the breath of your life, God's with you. God will walk through any circumstance with you, not without you. He'll be with you all the way. So, if I, remember remember Bonanza? Some of you older folks, remember this here, Bonanza, and, and <laughs> Little Joe Cartwright, and Hoss, and Little Joe was in a saloon, and The gunfighters are all around him, and he's feeling kind of overwhelmed, and Hoss walks in, pulls open the saloon doors, big giant of a man. And suddenly, little Joe gets very confident. (laughs) He starts trash-talking the boys in there because he knows I got Hoss backing me up. And that's how we ought to feel when we come against bad circumstances. The enemy throws something at us. Do a little trash-talking back to the enemy. Because Jesus is backing you up. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always with you. I'm confident because the Lord is with me. I'm not alone. David said, the Lord is my high tower, my shield, my buckler. The Lord is my deliverer. He's my fortress. He's my rock of salvation. He's the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. Folks, have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. James writes that demons tremble at the mention of his name. You sling that name Jesus around often. Demons cower before him because he's the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. He's the judge of all the earth. And one day, Every liar, every murderer, every slanderer, every war criminal, every crooked politician, every dictator will bow their knee before him and confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) Hallelujah. Psalms 91 verse 7. Psalms 91 verse 7 says, a thousand may fall at your left hand, ten thousand at your right hand, but no evil shall come near your dwelling because it is the Lord that's your protection. Now, how do you know you lack confidence? Well, one way is you're always looking for a reason not to try some new task, seize a new opportunity, and when an opportunity presents itself, you kind of cower from it rather than run to it. You refuse to act upon your solutions to the problem. You know, you try to find a committee of peer group to advise you. Now, listen, a camel is a racehorse designed by a committee. If you're not confused now, try to get six or ten people and ask their opinion. Boy, you are really going to be confused. You know you lack confidence because you're fearful of responsibility. So you turn down a promotion, an opportunity at work, because it might require you to do something different than you've ever done before. When the boss calls you in, your first reaction is, what did I do wrong? The right reaction is, thank God my raise has finally come through. You know you lack confidence when you meet somebody and you start twisting your hair and you cover your mouth and you look down at the ground and never in their face. And when you extend your hand, it's like squeezing the dead end of a fish. Hey, let me remind you about something. God provided worms for birds, but he didn't throw them down their throat. You have to take the initiative. You have to take charge of your life or somebody else always will. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 18, what you bind on earth, God will bind in heaven. What you release on earth, God will release in heaven. So God's waiting on you and me to take the initiative. And when you take the initiative, God says, okay, I'm going to back you up. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You're my child, and I tell you, you're going to do well. Attack. I think it's the bison, correct me if I'm wrong. But I was reading in some of my material the other day that the bison is the only animal that charges into the storm, knowing it's the shortest distance through the storm. While other animals flee from it, they're still in it, following it. But the bison goes straight at the storm, knowing that's the shortest route through. And that's exactly how we have to face our circumstance. You face it head on, and the shortest way through it is straight at it you face it head on and attack, not running from it. Now, having said that, listen, live your life with a balanced mind. You're not going to land every account. Every customer you meet won't like you. Every phone call won't be good news. You won't fascinate every person you meet. You won't win every game you play. Cowboys, It's a pity, but that's the truth. However, with persistence, you will obtain what you want. So press on. Keep on keeping on. In Matthew 24, he says, those who endure to the end will be delivered. So you will reach your divine destiny, but these obstacles are just part of the challenge of reaching your goal. Proof that you're a card-carrying member of the human race is T-R-O-U-B-L-E, trouble. Have confidence in Christ. You know, we complain about trouble. We run from trouble. But trouble is the reason generally for most every improvement you've ever made in your life. It showed you where you're weak, where you needed improvement, where you needed to change. Stop looking for the quick fix to anything. Now, I listen, there's nobody that would like a quick fix any better than me. I don't even like waiting for free money. Okay, my nature, my temperament, we're all different. I'm I'm just saying to you. But sometimes it takes time. Now, I like a quick fix, a quick miracle. But sometimes it doesn't come quick, but it comes. And if you're persistent and you endure to the end, God says you will be delivered. Uh, You have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. I have need of what? Endurance. You mean I did the right thing and it hasn't broken free yet? That's right. Well, what do I do? Stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Oh, we Americans hate that. What? No, I want it now. Well, sometimes it didn't come now. It will come. So you have to have some endurance in you waiting on what God said to come. I have confidence that what he said, he will do. Being confident of this thing, that that which he has begun in you, he will perform it unto the day of Jesus. I am confident about that. That's God's word and God's promise to me. So, you know, quick fix doesn't exist. Ask God for his answer, and no matter how difficult the answer is, you stay the course until you get there. Because when you get there, you'll be in your promised land, and nobody can take that from you. So how do we maintain that confidence? How do we overcome the moments in our life when we feel inferior, when we are intimidated, when you feel inadequate to the challenge? You know, when you feel defeated even before the game starts. When Satan comes to you like a roaring lion, trying to overwhelm you, trying to get you to retreat from your dream, trying to get you to live in the atmosphere of fear, insecurity, and uncertainty, and bully you into submission, well, the first thing to do is give up any thought of quitting. Give it up. Again, God's Word says, they that endure to the end shall be delivered. Those who remain in the end are the ones who see the victory. I think it was President Calvin Coolidge who once said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent won't. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education won't do it. The world is full of educated derelicts and unemployed people. Persistence and determination alone, he says, will win the day. So you're never gonna stand in the winner's circle unless you finish the race. I don't care if you started it, can you finish? You have to stay the course. You have to pursue to the end. Quitters never win and winners always refuse to quit although they feel like it. Quitting is actually murdering your opportunities. So what do we do when things get tough? Well, many just quit their job, quit their assignment, Boss wants you to come to work on time, wants you to look reasonably alive for eight hours. No, it's just too hard, so you quit. I saw a sign in the business that said, if you don't believe the dead come back to life, hang around here till five o'clock. We quit school, we drop out. If it demands study, scholarship, turning in homework, passing tests, forget it. One student handed in his English paper got an F. He looked at the F, and he went to the professor and said, I don't think I deserve an F on my English paper. The professor says, I don't think you deserve the F either, but that's as low as I can grade you. <laughs> America is rated poorly in education among third world countries. They're eating our lunch because we've developed the I quit mentality. According to the Texas Tribune in San Antonio, 58% of students are considered at risk for dropping out of high school. That means they are sentencing themselves to a lifetime of poverty. We quit marriage. Your dream lover becomes a nightmare. You know, there are two periods in a man's life when he doesn't understand women. Before he marries and after he marries. <laughs> Is my wife laughing? I don't know. See, see, we quit church. The pastor preaches a message on sin or tithing or spiritual authority. Then they say you're a fanatic. So they said, well, let's go meet in our kitchen. We'll have kitchen church, and nobody will tell us what we should do. No one will hold us accountable if we don't want to do or what we don't want to be. See, you start developing confidence when you stop making excuses about your situation. All great living begins when you accept personal responsibility for your life. My parents did not dictate the outcome of my life. Everybody and relatives had some impact in my life, some bad, some good. But I got to make my choice, and so do you. So don't blame anybody else. Look in the mirror and say it's all about you. Winston Churchill said, the price of greatness is personal responsibility. An excuse is the thin skin of fear stretched real tight over a bald-faced lie. There are two groups of people on earth, those who make good and those who make excuses. If you have the habit of making excuses, I urge you, stop it. You are where you are because you're like you are, and you can become better than you are when you take the responsibility for who you are. So put your hand in the hand of God and say, nothing is impossible with God or with me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I am embracing the Word. I cannot be defeated, and I'm certainly not going to quit. It's not over till I win, and I am not going to back down, cower down, or quit. That becomes one of your greatest strengths, the confidence that God will bring you through. See, look at the excuses Jesus could have used. I can't do anything with my life because people say I was born illegitimate. I'm born into a hated minority. I'm born into political captivity. I live under the occupation and oppression of the Roman government. We can't own property. Synagogue leaders are calling me a liar, a drunkard, a heretic, a demonized man. Judas is out trying to sell me to the highest bidder. And Peter, Peter's cursing me. See, Jesus could have used all those excuses and been very accurate, but that didn't happen. Jesus looked at hell's legions and said, I am the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. I am your worst nightmare. I am the resurrection and the life. I am now and shall always be victorious over you. Paul said that Jesus put Satan to an open shame where he suffered a personal, eternal, and irreversible defeat. Satan can never change that, ever. And Satan doesn't want you to know it. He doesn't care if you wear a cross necklace. He doesn't care if you believe in Jesus. He doesn't care if you celebrate Christmas. What he cares about is that you fully know and understand his defeat at the cross and what benefits that gave you when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. He does not want you to know what happened. Then he can manipulate you and handle you and take authority over you so that your life is not the life God intended you to have. I mean, it was way in life before uh, we sat down with a Bible and a a bunch of friends and went through chapter by chapter with uh, a guy who was a carpet cleaner, but a student of the Word and showed us our real authority. And we just kept taking legal pad after legal pad, Scripture after Scripture. And I got up and thought to myself, man, have I been missing it. We had two little girls, and they're always sick with that ampicillin, that pink medicine that's sticky that you put in the refrigerator for ear infection. Anybody remember ampicillin? And they always had some dumb ear infection or some plague of Egypt. I don't know. Always something. And when I discovered some authority, I remember I stood up and said, in the name of Jesus, this stops now. I take authority over the spirits of infirmity attacking my children. I command you to stop in Jesus' name. Jesus bore my sin, my sickness, disease, pain, and infirmity on the cross, and I have a legal right to health and healing. I rebuke you from my children in this home. That year, our medical bills went down 50%, and I'm just a rookie, just a rookie, but I was beginning to learn how to walk in the authority Jesus gave me, and I found it working in so many areas of life. I was, that's who I was in Jesus, but I didn't know it. I didn't, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What you don't know can kill you, or the enemy will, so it's really important to say, walk in that authority. I am not going to be a good loser. Well, I heard there's some flu breaking out. It shall not come near my dwelling. And should it even come near my dwelling, I'm going to walk out of this thing quick. I am not going to go down to this thing in utter weakness. And that prayer changes things. I'm using that authority. Now, hell's authority can no longer prevail against the church of Jesus. From this day forward, when one of his kids comes to the gates of hell, and they use the name of Jesus Christ, hell's hordes will do what you say to do, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I mean, you use that name. I wouldn't know demons tremble at the name of Jesus if he didn't put it in Scripture so I could know. Now I know, so they tremble. It's about time when you got bad news, you tremble, you start making the enemy tremble. You cannot defeat me. I know the rights I have, and I will hold God's word against you. And when I pray for any friend that has a problem, medical or financial or marital or with the children, what do I pray? Scripture. Scripture. You get around Sandy Ross, all you're going to hear is the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. Because it's got, what else you going to pray? Yeah, just pray the Word of God. It's got power in it. It's got life in it. Sling it around your children. Sling it around the house. Sling it over your husband. Sling it over your, your spouse or relatives. Don't be a good loser. Don't be a doormat for Satan. Have some confidence that what God made a promise to you for, that will he do. And it, Well, I'm getting older. Well, Moses was 80 before he got started. Abraham was 100 before his dream came true. What's your problem? <laughs> if God made a promise, he's going to keep me in good shape till that promise comes true. He'll keep me alive. He'll keep me young and healthy. Until then, he'll hold the sun still. He'll, till the enemy is defeated, he'll open the Red Sea, he'll feed you with unclean ravens, he will do whatever it takes to preserve you until what he promised you comes true. So never allow circumstances to take you off God's promise and God's word. Have confidence in God and in his word. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is the strength of my life, so of whom shall I be afraid? Proverbs 3, verse 26, for the Lord shall be thy confidence... And keep your foot from stumbling. Proverbs 14, verse 26. It is the fear of the Lord. It is a strong confidence. His children shall have a place of refuge. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear me. You can't read your Bible and be a pessimist. It's not possible. Have confidence also in your fellow believers. How many times have I heard, well, pastor, I just don't have confidence in anybody anymore. That pastor who I trusted, that national evangelist, is involved in scandal or he fell, and so I just don't have any confidence in anybody anymore. Hey, folks, excuse me. Wake up, Sparky. There's not one verse in the Bible that tells you to have faith in anybody except Jesus. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Man, in 35 years here from our start to this day, I've watched people come and watched people go. My faith has never been in those people. My faith has always been in Christ. I don't care what friend of mine fails or stumbles. It's got nothing to do with me being here. I'm standing here. I will finish here, and I will end up doing what God made me to do until the end. People come, people go. Big deal. Big deal. I hate it. I, I hate to lose some of those people, and the enemy takes many of them out because of their own ego or pride or, what, or rebellion. doesn't matter. My faith and confidence was never in them. I didn't become a Christian because somebody else was. When I heard the good news that what Jesus did for me, I bought it. I took it to the bank, and I'm still banking on what he promised me, come hell or high water. See, what are you trying to do? Are you becoming somebody less than what you are supposed to be? See, many people try to justify their imperfection by looking at yours, but our model is supposed to be Jesus only. I'll push this a little bit. I'm talking about having confidence in fellow believers. In 1 Corinthians, the members of the church were getting drunk at communion. Some of you get drunk and you're not even in communion. One guy in that church is having sex with his father's wife, his stepmother. There was a horrible misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. There was strife, jealousy, division, competition. And what happened? The Apostle Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians and skinned them alive. And they repented and they turned around. And they became new creations in Christ. Now listen to Paul writing to the same group in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, I have confidence in you in all things. Think of the blessing to a brother or sister in Christ who's really dropped the ball. And you put your arm around him and say, look, it's a bad deal, but I have confidence in you. What healing power comes through that statement? What restoration comes through that statement? Some people who call themselves Christians love to cut other people down with that tongue, calling it smart, but it's godless. Stop it. Criticism can destroy the heart and soul of another person. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your children. It can break up relationships. It can destroy your church. To have confidence in other people requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why some people don't have confidence in other people. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 5, I have confidence in you through the Lord Jesus. In other words, you need God's grace and power to do that. He said, I have confidence in you, faults and all, because the God who started a good work in you will perfect it. The Bible warns us about giving up our confidence. He says, we are the household of Christ if we hold fast to our confidence, which has a great reward. And today in this audience, some of you, maybe watching online as well, have lost confidence in yourself. You've lost confidence in other people. You've lost confidence in God or the church. You've lost confidence in many things. But this morning, you'd like to recover the confidence that comes from walking with Christ in faith. And I want you to leave today with the confidence that everything's going to be all right because our God reigns. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.